Hello, and welcome again to the Facilitator M podcast. This podcast has been created to host discussions of relevance to missionaries in phase four and five fields. I'm Jim Rice, and I'll be hosting today's podcast. This is the 17th episode of the Facilitator M podcast, and we will be continuing our conversation with Reverends James Matchett, Chad McCallum, and Peter Moore. Without further delay, let's jump back into the conversation. Uh, but thinking back to in-person uh, visits by missionaries, is there a place where missionaries who were stateside uh, on PD or what in whatever form can help local churches meet the needs of a diverse community uh, that you're trying to, to reach out and minister to? and either not having success or not having as much success. Is that something that, that you feel like churches are open to or would want uh, for missionaries to be able to speak into your community? You know, Chad, you talked about starting in, in, at home. Uh, and we all live in communities that are becoming more diverse. Uh, it's just the nature of the world. Uh, and so our mission fields now can go past just supporting missionaries into reaching that whatever culture is in your area, because that's going to spread back to their home culture because they still have connections there. Is there anything that we as, as global partners, missionaries can do that facilitates that and helps that with pastors? And is there an open door there? I think that um, just the thought that comes to mind with that is when, when Rob Rogers was just up here, Rob and Monica, they were here before they went back to um, their place of service. And Rob shared, I don't even know that, he, I don't think he said it on purpose, but honestly, I think his statement was helpful because Rob was talking about, you know, the, the lostness of the people where he serves. And, and then he proceeded to say, um, and just like our heart beats for, for these people, we pray that your heart beats for your neighbors too. Like he connected it back. So I don't think uh, to what Peter was saying way earlier, I don't think most churches in our church, I mean, I don't think we're a highly strategic missions church. I think we have some people that are passionate about it, that care deeply about it. So to say, hey, we want to have a mission, uh, want to, you know, a global partners missionary help us think on this more, it wouldn't even fully register with some. But can, but I can say this that when, when, when a missionary from somewhere in the world draws a line from where they are and says, hey, and just like we're trying to live out what God's called us to do, you live that out as well in this community. To me, that feels that felt helpful. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it felt really helpful. So, yeah. And see, that's, that's, that's really good because I, I hadn't even thought of something like that. I'm thinking more of an interaction, a local interaction. And this is just a, basically it's, it goes back to communication, which is what you just, you guys have been talking. About. And I do think conversations like, you know, there's to what Peter was saying before about there's people that are passionate about 
global work that will outlast the pastor. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, that's totally absolutely true. And and I think when you know when um, when we have missionaries here, the conversations that happen over a cup of coffee that go beyond like, oh, what's it like to live in whatever country of the world? And it goes more to, um, you know, how are you seeing people's, you know, what are you seeing in making disciples around the world? What are you seeing in your particular setting? In those informal kind of conversations, that alone just kind of gets in the water, you know, and it, it's, it's a, a beautiful thing. Um, you know, one other thought that I just had, and this may be a bit of a rabbit trail, but it ties back to, I think, everything we're saying. Um, here in the U.S., I don't know how it is around the world, there's this TV show Shark Tank where people walk in, they ask for money, they've got three minutes to make their spiel. They've got some product that's supposedly going to change the world, right? And then there's the investors, the sharks are there, and they're deciding whether or not they're going to invest in this company. And what the sharks hate is when they walk in and they'll say, um, you know, this, what we're going into is a multi-billion dollar industry in the world today. And our goal is just to claim 1% of that. We can just claim a little bit. We'll be millionaires kind of thing. The sharks hate that. The sharks always say, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Like they always say that. What's the problem you're trying to solve? And I... In essence, they put a face on it. Like they're saying, like, tell us about the stay-at-home mom that's having a hard time with their kids and how this is going to help them. And I think that as missionaries interact with churches, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, and I, I, I did this when I was the director of mobilization. I would talk about, you know, the billions of unreached people in the world and the lostness in the world. I think the more that missionaries can bring it back to one person and say, this is about this person that I sit in a restaurant booth with who's never heard the name of Jesus until they met me, man, oh man, you hear a story like that. It makes you want to go share Jesus with someone in your own community. So, yeah. That's great. Another, another slant on, on that is, you know, there would be an extreme opportunity for reciprocity uh, that we saw modeled here on the Atlantic District. Uh, we, we had one of our churches go through um, uh, the, the power van coaching and they ended up adopting Brazil as a, a long-term partnership field. And so, you know, you mentioned earlier, Jim, that a lot of phase four and five M's are going to be listening to this and, and uh, Tom and Grace, of course, are uh, celebrated uh, GP uh, M's who have, have made an enormous difference. But what was really cool was that uh, a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, they brought a mission team from Brazil to Nova Scotia. And, um, uh, and they were able to leverage that team's presence to engage with, with Brazilian and I don't know if there were other Portuguese speaking uh, people groups. Um, they were able to leverage some of that at the time that it happened. And um, 
it was it was a really tangible way that that a, a later phase field uh, could could actually you know exponentially impact the temperature of one church in a really short period of time, and um, it was uh, anyway yeah, that's a big idea. It's not so much the the broader stroke of some of the other comments that are being heard. And it's certainly not something every church is going to be able to do uh, or every field is going to be able to do either. But um, that would be that would be uh, pretty exciting if on a regular basis we got to make a list of the mission teams, not just that came to North America, but the mission teams, which are happening. Obviously, we know, including sending missionaries that are being sent out from phase four, phase five fields to other places around the world. So uh, that's just another another thing to throw out there to to keep in your your tickle trunk of what might move the needle for a church. I think what's challenging for a missionary to come into a local context and add a tremendous amount of value to them reaching their local context is every local context is different and how you reach that local context is different. Like I'm, I'm from the States, always been in the States and, but I've pastored it at many churches. And every time I go to a new church, I don't have any idea how to reach the local community for a few years mm. because I just, I have to pick up all of the local context and culture that's there locally um, so when I think about the value that a missionary brings when they come, it all goes back to what I said earlier about how can you help me break my people out of their context and in, into another one. And so I actually, it, it doesn't help me tremendously to have a missionary talk about local. I want them to talk about global initiatives and, and help, help them see a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different ways to probably do that. Um, and every, every church is going to give you different times, whether it is a Sunday morning, whether it's a lobby display, whether it's a, a, a time of you know, coffee later. Or, um, but what I've, what I've been searching for myself is our experiences. Mm-hmm. Can you, how can you give my people an experience? And it can be as simple as like when I go to Guatemala, I love the black beans and tortillas. I just, I could eat them all day long, every day, the rest of my life. And so like when those missionaries come in, I'm like, Hey, can you make that for our people? When, when they come and talk to you, like, let's give them an experience. Like it can be as simple as food. Um, We have had sex trafficking, um, ministries come in and, and they'll go all the way to a documentary that they've recorded. Mm. Um, but how can you take my people to somewhere else and give them a different perspective? Mm. Because I do think what's, what Chad said earlier, if you'll reach lo- local, you'll be more likely to reach global. But I think it's a cycle. I think if you, if, if you start to get passionate about reaching global, you'll be more likely to go to your neighbor and reach local. Yeah. And, and if you, if that is consistent, I think it just, it just feeds on itself. I think it's a, it's a flame that continues to grow. You know, I fund I, uh, I had this conversation the other day with a pastor here in town. Pastor said to me, well, if the church gets too passionate about global missions, they, they forget about their neighbors. I absolutely disagree with that. I mean, I just, the, the people that 
that write the checks, to put it crudely, to support global work around the world, genuinely want to see people's lives change. And they love, obviously, the people they're giving to. There's no doubt they have affection for that. But to me, it's like, if it isn't making that connection, that cycle that you just talked about, James, then it's something that's broken in the way that it's being talked about or thought about or some other way. Because I've never, every church I've ever been at has been pretty passionate, I would say, about global things. And that's true here. Um, grief, we take a whole month to talk about it here. But the, uh, I think it, it stirs in people's hearts to be local. And then it's like, there's just this sending cycle that happens. So. Cause I, I have to be honest. I, I, I think a lot of us walk around like zombies. Like yeah. we're just doing the same things that we've always done. Yeah. Um, every day of our life. And that's not just in church. I'm saying in everyday life, like I get in my car the same way. I drive the same route. I just, for the, for the good majority of my life, I'm only willing to do the things that I've always done. I think that a lot of my local ministry ideas have come from the time I was somewhere globally and I, and I talked to a stranger and I'm like, well, if I can talk to a, if I can walk up to a complete stranger, well, then I can surely ask my neighbor what they do or what their name is, or if I can pray for them. And right. so it's, it is that what break us out of the sleep walking that we're doing and a lot of fruit can come from that globally and locally. Yeah. I think uh, this gets off on kind of a different topic, but that's one of the great values of having short-term teams go to the field. Uh, I know it's costly. I know people say it costs too much money and there's not enough bang for the buck. Um, I'll just tell you this. I was in language school in Costa Rica with about 90 other missionaries and about 95% of those missionaries were there because of short-term teams. Mm-hmm. That's where their call to mission started, uh, was in a short-term trip somewhere. And that translated into long-term service and a call that God had created in their heart. I think that with what you guys have already talked about is a lot of the same thing that we need to do as, as GPMs trying to engage the North American church. We need to bring, and I think James, you just said something, we need to bring that kind of vision and experience back. And instead of going through our, maybe sometimes our, and I may be wrong about this. I may be completely wrong, but instead of going through our, our prepared message and ask, uh, even if we do it well and do the storytelling along with that, uh, are we really giving a real good picture of what it, what it is to serve cross-culturally, which if, if we do it and it's all, not all uh, candy and roses, there are struggles, there are hardships there. And I think those are really important as well. I don't know. I'd like to hear your opinion on that in just a second, but if we as GPMs can do that well within Wesleyan churches to bring a slice of that pie and, and let the local church have a taste of it. It does so much good in helping us all, helping us to connect locally and helping the local church to connect internationally. Uh, and not just with us, 
not just with the missionaries, but with the culture and the people that we're serving with. And because those people are the ones that are exciting. I'm boring. I'm, and I'll really admit that I'm not, I'm not an exciting person. Uh, I'm not Peter, but I can give that slice of the pie to you guys as I come. So I, that's excellent stuff. And that just, that just piled on top of me as I was listening to you there. So that was great. Uh, so jumping back into the national uh, North American church and global partners, M's, uh, you know, we've had this model of faith promise and I want to touch on it for uh, just a second here and hear what you guys think about what is coming, what is now and how it worked in the past, which worked well for, for quite a while uh, in the past. Do you guys see faith promise and the idea of, of giving uh, not making a pledge, but saying, as God gives me the ability, I will give this to missions. Is that something that we'll be able to, we'll be able to continue to do into the future? Is it going to be effective as a, as a tool for missions giving, or has it seen its effectiveness dwindle and we need to find some other way? Hmm. That's a good question, Jim. I think the first thought that pops into my brain on that is that I don't think that faith promise would be effective with quote newer churches. Um, I think uh, like in our setting, we do faith promise still. I think most people here, they don't, they might make a faith promise. Faith promise, if anything, is like a flag waving, like don't forget when you give to make sure you give to global missions too. Um, and so, I mean, I, so for our setting, we just had this conversation as a missions committee the other day, as somebody said they were newer to the whole thing. And they were like, wait a minute, we get all this money. This is, this isn't in our regular ties and offerings. This is like totally separate. I mean, yeah, it's totally separate. I think for the newer church um, to, you're just, I mean, as someone who planted a church, you're just trying to pay the bills at that point. And so the thought of then saying, now we're going to give to this other thing through a an annual pledge, I don't think people think annually on anything. I think, I think James is right in what he says. We're, we're pastoring zombies in some ways that, that don't think annually. They think, how do I get through the week? Um, so, you know, I don't, what was it my professor said back at Indiana Wesleyan, pay your money, take your choice. I, I think at the end of the day, for churches to wrestle with that, and I, I think for missionaries to give, to make a clear request, though, I mean, obviously it costs money to go. It costs dollars. And, and you know, I've never personally balked at that. Like, if tell me how much it's going to cost for you to go overseas and tell me where you're at. So uh, I think churches have to wrestle with that, though. It'll be interesting to see what the next... 10 years holds as far as how that plays out in a lot of churches. You know, there's certain places again, like here that there's people who think, well, this is how we give toward missions. Part of me thinks, man, I just wish we could all give it into the same bucket and figure out a way to break it out that way. Um, and I know that there's models out there like that. Um, but to do that here, I wonder what it would, I don't know. I mean, I'm, it's kind of like walking out and moving traffic. You think if you switch it, what happens? So 
I know um, this is frustrating, I'm sure, for missionaries, um, because it was a lot easier just to say, hey, this is something we all do every year. Will you just just do this tonight, make this pledge, and then people do it? And so that we're all in the same boat, this is happening in the church, too, um, because you just replace faith promise with tithe, and people are going to stop being willing to give that tithe in the same way. So us as pastors are having to figure out how we present giving in different ways here within the local church as well. Um, you had, had mentioned that you may want to talk about why do people not give to global partners as much as maybe they have in the past. People won't give to an organization because they don't trust organizations. And so then why do people not give faith promise because faith promise primarily has been presented to a person. People don't give to people because they don't trust people. What people want to give to is a cause. And so I think one of the best things that uh, a missionary or a pastor could read is um, Simon Sinek's, you know, why um, the power of the why, or his Ted talk on the why people don't, people don't buy what you, you know, what you do, they buy why you do it. And so I do think that there are con concepts of faith promise that still work, but you have to almost tear it all the way down and rebuild it. And so it can't be about an organization, it can't be about a person, it has to be about the cause. And so when you start with the cause and you present the cause, then you ask people to give in different ways. And you have to be okay that some people want to give directly to world hope instead of your faith promise fund, or they want to give directly to a missionary's cause rather than your faith promise fund. That just has to be okay. And if it's really about discipleship and the impact, then it's okay. Our faith promise budget is going to continue to shrink because people are going to be less willing to give to my fund because they want to give directly to and I have, to, I have to sacrifice that and I have to let that go. But what I still say is, listen, church, there are still some things that we can only accomplish when we give together. And so if, if we're going to plant churches over here, no, no one of us can do that together. And so we all have to make a commitment to give together this year in order to make that happen. If we're gonna sponsor a village in Africa, it's too expensive. No one of us can do that. So we're going to have to give together. And so what I've actually done is I've renamed Faith Promise Global Impact Fund for our church because people coming in who aren't Westland traditionally and don't understand the Westland words and don't know what Faith Promise is, they'll get Global Impact Fund. And so it's still the same thing as Faith Promise. I actually have to tell half the congregation that it's still faith promise. So don't get scared. When you give faith promise, it goes into the global impact fund and is accomplishing the same purposes. But you see how you have to rebuild it. You have to start with the cause and you have to explain to them how when they give to that cause, it's allowing us to accomplish these things. And some of those things are still the same things that we were accomplishing with faith promise. Mm. James had, had your leadership there in the church ever give can given consideration calling it the world impact fund because then you could um 
just call Craig Dunn and ask for some of their stuff. <laughs> you, have, you have like all your branding um, and and all that, and and they wouldn't. I mean, honestly, I don't even think they would care. They're busy. Uh, if yeah. you guys used it. So it's just a thought just to leverage, you know, why reinvent the wheel, right? So yeah. um, the other the other great idea that I had, um, and, and I, you know, I didn't used to really be this uh, innovative and, and if I may say so, inspirational until I, I, I worked for a few years with Chad McCollum oh, and Global Partners. But, um, you know, there were a lot of great things about the Reformation that we celebrate and we should, but maybe it's time to bring indulgences back because if <laughs> we did that and GP missionaries were granted by the general superintendent, the authority to sell those, um, I think we might have something there. So it's just an idea. Uh, if those two ideas are not, are not worthy of consideration though, um, <laughs> I, I would, I would say this about faith promise. I think there was a day I think it's bigger, Jim, than faith promise. I think there was a day when denominations functioned by saying, what does our denomination tell us to do? We buy all our Sunday school material from the department that makes that. And that's what we all do. And there were a few outliers, you know, churches that did their own thing and people kind of raised their eyes at them and, and said, you know, they're, they're mavericks. They're using Baptist material or something. And, uh, Wana. they're doing yeah, a lot. Exactly. <laughs> and so, but I think, I think the faith promise, uh, question really, Jim is, is, is really, it's less about faith promise. It's a part of that broader shift that we have seen, you know, Chad, you were mentioning earlier, right. Um, wouldn't it be great if everybody just gave money to, to a general fund, we actually did that. We, yeah. we called people gave to Wesleyan world missions and all the churches did that. And, and we, you know, we went from the pot method to the pool method where, where, yeah. you know, missionaries all raised the same amount to go into the pool based on whether they were single or married or had kids. And then no matter where they went, they only had to raise the same amount. And we went from the pot to the pool method to the pay where you go method. Yeah. Which is what we're in now. And, and I and I do think the, the reason why that is is relevant to this conversation is that um, faith promise is a great tool if a lead pastor of a local church buys into it. Mm -hmm. uh, this church I mentioned that that took on uh, Brazil, um, they actually had never done faith promise before. And just five or six years ago, whenever it was. They were like, this is a great idea. This is a great way to, to reignite our missions giving. And so they bought in and we coached them and, and they launched Faith Promise and they still do it every year. So I don't, think, I don't think the idea of Faith Promise is necessarily broken. I just think the idea that uh, people will just give generically to anything is no longer the way the majority of people are going to do it, even if it's giving generically to their own church to do something with that money. And so... Um, I, I guess I would just add to that the other, the other reality that, you know, for those who've been missionaries for 20 plus years, you know that the percentage of your budget that you had to raise that came from local churches 20 years ago 
was probably 75%. And what you raised from individuals was 25%. Not only in, in maybe not in headcount, but in amount. That has probably flipped on its end over 20 years where 25% of what you raise is actually from churches writing checks. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean money that's coming through individuals, through churches, but like churches writing from their missions budget. Whereas, so, so we just have to, hey, we have to either adapt or die, right? And, and that's why I say thinking through church, the North American church from, a, from a, the, the funding partnership side of things, converting that church to an individual or two and then treating them like individuals, not as a church, um, really unlocks the key to them being a part of, of, of how, how they get to experience being in on the wins that, that we have globally in the work that we do. So, so I, I think Faith Promise could be around 50 years from now. I think it's a great idea. But I think there's 18 other ways that churches can mobilize giving through their people to make a difference in the International Wesleyan Church. And they're all good, too. And uh, and so I, I don't know that anybody wants to take up the banner of reviving faith promise as if that was some merit into and unto itself. Um, but but I just gave one example of a of a healthy church that went, oh, what a cool thing. Let's do that as if it was some kind of a new deal. So um, I wouldn't take it out of your tickle trunk, but I wouldn't necessarily lead with it either as if there's some great merit in, in, in a church using it. I think to break it down even further, you, you have to think about um, all the different levels of giving and all can be valuable um, to, to the cause. And that is there are going to be some people who are visitors and they don't even get giving their money away. Like this would be the first time they've ever even given their money away. And you have to give them a baby step. Like you have to say, if you give, if you give $5 a month or if you give $5 today, like it's going to feed five children who are malnourished in this country. And that's a baby step. And that's, that's probably too small for most people, but but that, how do you get them to step two if they if they if you can never get them to take step one? And so then and step two is, well, how about you? You know, would you be willing to, to buy a block that's going to plant a church that's going to like a, a concrete block that's going to build a church that's going to save life, you know, and that's going to cost fifty dollars, you know, and I think the more you can break it down and give every every level of maturity or discipleship. Um, an opportunity to participate in what you're doing, um, then the better you're going to be. And if you go back to the marathon analogy, like that's how you really see this donor development as a marathon is you have to be willing to meet those that are taking their first step. And you have to be able to give them some things to walk with you over a couple of years. And eventually they, they may be committing a significant amount every month. Mm-hmm. You have been listening to a discussion between Peter Moore, Chad McCollum, and James Matchett about the relationship between GPMs and local churches in North America. We will conclude this conversation next week with the third and final installment of this topic on the Facilitator M podcast. 
If you are interested in reading the three blog posts that these pastors wrote covering different aspects of today's topic, you will find them at gpafrica.org forward slash blog.